This is KGMI Connects with Joe Tian, a live local show about our community and you on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Good afternoon, and in this afternoon, we won't take your calls as we usually do. We're uh, continuing our series of uh, debates between candidates for state office here on KGMI Connects. Candidates from the 42nd District, and uh, we've already heard from uh, the two candidates for the Senate seat from the 42nd, from position one for the State House in the 42nd, and today we hear from the candidates for position two in the State House from the 42nd District. And uh, joining us here in the studio is Dan Johnson, the Republican candidate, Joe Timmons, the Democratic candidate. And uh, the same format that we've been doing, uh, we'll offer questions to the two candidates. Uh, They'll each have two minutes to answer each question and then an opportunity to respond for 30 seconds each. And um, and then just a little bit, well, toward the end of the program or at the end of the program, we'll give guys a chance to talk about yourselves. We won't start out with that, but... uh, We'll just dive right into the questions here. So first of all, Dan Johnson, Joe Timmons, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us out here, Joe. You bet. Thanks for joining us, Thank definitely. Uh, so let's, we'll start, and uh, we've uh, conferred before the program. Joe Timmons will be the first one to answer our first question, and it concerns the cost of living. Inflation continues at rates not seen in decades. Are there steps that state government can take to ease the pain of higher prices for consumers? So we start... With Joe Timmons. Well, thank you very much, Joe, uh, for the opportunity to be here. These conversations are critically important for voters to, to get a sense of where the people that they're voting on stand on important issues such as this one. So thank you. Um, you know, it, it, when I go door to door and talk with folks, uh, affordability is on top of everybody's mind. Um, you know, we're a working class family. We have a toddler. The rising price at the grocery store and gas is very much concerning. Uh, So I feel that personally, and I know uh, people throughout Whatcom County do. This is, you know, something that that is obviously uh, a national issue. Uh, It affects everybody across the country, but I do think that there are steps that the state can take, um, you know, particularly for folks on fixed incomes. You know, one thing that I think uh, we need to be looking at is uh, the the cost of prescription drugs and trying to, to reduce those costs to make it easier on Washington State families and seniors. Um, what last year, the Washington State Legislature passed a bill to decrease the cost of insulin, which uh, affects the bottom line of, of working class families and Washingtonians. So that's uh, further uh, going down that road of, of exploring ways in terms of health care and prescription drugs to reduce costs, I think would would be a, a beneficial uh, step for, for us to take. I also think that we need to be looking at our tax structure. You know, we have the most regressive tax structure in the, in the country. Um, the, the lowest income earners pay a disproportionate fare, a disproportionate share of their income uh, when it comes to, uh, to the state's uh, tax, taxes. So I think looking at, at, at tax relief when it comes to the sales tax and other issues, looking at our tax system holistically are other steps that we need to be taking in order to try to decrease the costs and the rising costs for Washingtonians and folks throughout Whatcom County. All right. Dan Johnson, same question. You want me to repeat it? Yeah, sure. Go ahead, Joe. Thank you. Inflation continues at rates not seen in decades. Are there steps that state government can take to ease the pain of higher prices for consumers? All right. Thank you for the question. And again, thanks for having us out here today to get our message out, because uh, I got to say, first and foremost, you know, we're, we're running on the message and the issues in this campaign. Definitely. Uh, when we talk about the economy here locally, yeah, there's there's a, a myriad of things that we're looking at with the the rising cost of inflation. That that is, as we've seen, it's the price at the pump. It is housing. It's rent. It's cost of groceries, and in fact, something as recent as uh, people are finding in their mailboxes yesterday and today are the new property tax assessments. And uh, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. I was door knocking up in Sumas, and he comes up to me and he asked me if I was a candidate. And I said, yes, I am. And he says, I just got my tax assessment in the mail and my property taxes here in Sumas just went up 30%. 30%. And not only that, it's 30% in Sumas. So when your property taxes goes up, that means that the value of your property went up. Then Sumas, having been recently flooded, is 
recent as, uh, what, 10, 11 months ago, and now they're raising property taxes. The things that I want to look at is uh, kind of a a three-pronged approach. It's going to be the uh, $250,000 exemption on your property taxes. It would be a reduction of the state sales tax by 1%, and it would be a reduction in the state's fuel tax. And I would like to have all three of those be compounded into one solid piece of legislation. And I feel that that piece of legislation would go the farthest, reach the most people, and give the most relief. But remember, we had a $14 billion surplus this year, and zero money came back to the people. Joe, do you want to respond? Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we have a surplus at the state level, I think we need to be looking at tax relief. As I as I said, we do have the most regressive tax structure in the country, and I think that we need to be uh, taken seriously and looking holistically at the budget, and that includes tax relief for, for people who are having a difficult time uh, affording life right now. And so, uh, But I do uh, appreciate bringing up housing. Housing is definitely on top of my mind. Our rent went up 35% last year in this community, and unfortunately, I know our family is not alone in that. Dan, you have 30 seconds. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I have 12 different thoughts in my head right now. But uh, Joe, when you and you don't have a chance to rebut unless we can give him that opportunity, but you say our rent went up 35%. So do you rent or do you own in this community? Do you do you have a home and a mortgage or do you actually rent? May I respond, Joe? Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I we rented for six years here, um, and then our rent went up thirty five percent. We were saving to buy a home in this community. Very fortunate to have gotten into the housing market. Glad to be setting down roots in this community as homeowners with our two year old. So yeah, our, our rent went up thirty five percent last year. We purchased the home towards the end of last year, moved, and then got going on this campaign. So uh, previously rented throughout our lives, adult lives, and now are uh, grateful to be homeowners in this community. So I guess, Dan, you have about 20 seconds of your rebuttal that we'll add on there. Yeah, sure. And and I'm just going to reiterate what I said before, is that we did not see anything in the form of tax relief showing up this year. And several things were brought up. And the Democrat lawmakers in Olympia shot all of them down, and we saw zero money back in our pockets. That is something that I would be willing to change and want to work on and make effective in Olympia. Okay. Well, taxes have come up in this part of the conversation, so let's uh, talk tax policy. Let's do it. Uh, It is a fact that our state has one of the most, if not the most, regressive tax policies in any of the 50 states. And um, my question is, is the recently enacted capital gains tax on wealthy residents, wealthy Washingtonians, a legitimate way to address this inequality? And we'll start with, uh, and well, and also, are there other steps that should be taken to address this inequality in our taxation? So uh, we'll start here with Dan Johnson. So you're referring to the uh, capital gains tax that was uh, recently passed, and they said it wasn't an income tax, but yet it's being challenged and debated, I believe, in Douglas County. And so I think that there's a actual statement from the IRS as well that did qualify that as a uh, state income tax. And the issues that come from that, if that's in fact how the qualifier remains, is that in our Washington state constitution, I'm pretty sure it says that a state income tax has to apply to all, not just to certain uh, certain people that get a certain amount of money and have a certain amount of income. And so I think that yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna go that route, then go that route, but don't call it something else. Don't don't mask it and disguise it. Okay, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Can you repeat the question one more time, Joe? Uh, yes, is the recently enacted capital gains tax a legitimate way to address our regressive tax policy in this state? And are there other steps that should be taken? Thanks. Yeah, is it legitimate? That is a great question, right? That's right now between the state before the state supreme court. I uh, await their decision, and I think it will have impacts on the state budget uh, for the next biennium. So uh, whether it's legitimate or not is a question uh, for for the Washington State Supreme Court justices, and uh, I look forward to that decision. But let me be clear. I do not support an income tax. Uh, This is a a capital gains tax is is separate from an income tax, and uh, Washington State voters time and time again have, uh, have, have rejected an income tax at the ballot. 
I do not support that. But I think we need to address the uh, inequality in our tax structure. We do have the most regressive tax structure in the United States of America. What that means is the the lowest income earners pay the more proportional, uh, a, a disproportionate aspect of their income than the highest earners. To me, that's not fair. To me, that's not fair for the working families that I'm working to represent. That's not fair to my family. And I think that we need to address that within this state. Dan, do you have uh, a response? I do. Thank you. So what I hear is $14 billion tax surplus, increased taxes, more taxes, no tax relief for Washington citizens and residents, more taxes, more surplus, which, by the way, is a taxpayer surplus. It's not a, a government surplus or anything like that. It's, it's the taxpayer's dollars. None of it is coming back into our pockets. There's just being new ways discovered to further tax us. Joe, you have 30 seconds. Thanks, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, absolutely. Look, I'm not an incumbent. I did not vote on budgets in the legislature. I am a first-time candidate. I'm looking to represent this community because I care deeply about this community. Uh, and that includes looking at our tax structure holistically and our state budget holistically. And that's a view that I'll look at down look a lens that I'll look through down in Olympia. All right. Uh, this next question will start with Joe Timmons. And once again, we're talking with uh, Joe Timmons, Democratic candidate, and Dan Johnson, Republican candidate, both for the 42nd District State House uh, position, too. And uh, let's we've talked about housing. So home prices and now interest rates continue to increase, making home ownership difficult for many Whatcom County residents. Can state lawmakers do anything to make homes more affordable? So go ahead, Joe. Thanks, Joe. And this is one of the biggest issues on top of people's minds, uh, in addition to the right to choose and in addition to public safety and other issues when I go door to door. As I said, our rent went up 35 percent last year uh, here in Whatcom County. Unfortunately, our family is not alone in this. The more stories I hear when I talk with people. So uh, we absolutely need to address, address this. This, to me, is a housing crisis, a housing shortage crisis. We need to build more housing. You know, I believe in supply and demand economics. We need to build more housing to reduce the cost of housing for everybody. So what that looks like to me is building more housing, more units, uh, particularly in our urban areas, more density, housing around transit. And I think that there are things that the, that the state can do around that. Uh, but it needs to be across the continuum. You know, it, it's, it's sometimes when we think of housing affordability, we think of our lowest income earners and affordable housing. And while I believe we need to, uh, to, to, to invest in the state's housing trust fund, which uh, supports our lowest income earners, really we need to build more workforce housing. And this isn't only a moral issue. I think everybody needs to, everyone deserves a roof over their head. I believe that people deserve to live where they work and play. But this is an economic issue. You know, when I talk with leaders at the Port of Bellingham and the Regional Chamber of Commerce, you know, businesses are not starting here or relocating here because there's not enough workforce housing and childcare. That to me is concerning. So it's not only the right thing to do from a moral perspective, but I think it's also the best thing to do for our economy moving forward. And I think that our, I think that people that live in Whatcom County deserve to have more options when it comes to housing and to have their rents and, and their, their mortgages were lower. Um, and if I have a few more seconds, I'll just say something else I really believe in, as Dan brought up earlier. You know, I am, we are recent first-time homeowners. It's a tough market out there. And, you know, we're still paying off our student loan debt. I want to create more programs that create access to first-time homeownership because that's the best way to build familial wealth and to reduce uh, generational poverty and build assets over time. All right, Dan Johnson, can state lawmakers do anything to make homes more affordable here in Whatcom County? Yes. (laughs) Simply put, yes, indeed they can. Uh, Let's take a look first and foremost at the Growth Management Act. I mean, over 30 years old, there's 13 principles that they tried to follow in the Growth Management Act. And uh, formally, I'll, or I'm sorry, moving on, I'll refer to it as the GMA. And unfortunately, out of the 13 components of the GMA, only a couple are really being followed and adopted. And, and for that, they mostly follow the environmental issues. And that is somewhat concerning because it's supposed to be pretty evenly distributed across all 13 points. And and I won't claim to be able to recite all 13 of them right here on radio, but uh, I do know that for every $1,000 added, and I'm going to look to my stats here, for every $1,000 increased in the cost of a house, you price out 2,100 families of ownership. 
So for every $1,000, you're pricing 2,100 families out of homeownership. And that's a significant number because when you start looking at the permitting and fees associated with building a home and building your, your slice of the pie, your piece of America, and, you know, is homeownership. And you're looking at upwards of $50,000 before you take your first shovel full of dirt out. And you start looking at those massive numbers and it's all environmentally related, impact fees, things like that. Yeah, at the state level, we can really hone in on the GMA and really try to to better revamp that. But also, you know, we got to look at the the renting market as well. And and like Joe pointed out, we got to have people that are able to be here to work. And when they're here working, because we need people in jobs, we need boots on the ground, people in seats, and they have to have somewhere to live too. Everybody needs a home. Joe, 30 seconds to respond. Thank you. Um, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this or not, but you know, we, we have a two-year-old. We have a toddler, right? And I, uh, my wife, Heather, grew up in Whatcom County. We are, we are proud to have set down roots here. I've lived in Whatcom County for more than a decade, and uh, we're thrilled to be, to be raising our family here near Heather's parents. Um, but I want my son to be able to afford to live here too. So this isn't only a matter of now, but this is a matter of the future and whether or not um, future generations can afford a roof over their head within our community. And I think that they deserve that chance. All right, Dan, 30 seconds. And again, something that's been brought up in the past was accessory dwelling units or ADUs. And what a great source of creating uh, another living environment on somebody's property. But again, looking back at the permitting process and the restrictions that do exist, while you may be able to put an ADU on your property on paper, the problem is you got a fat chance trying to get it permitted, whether it's in a wetland or a buffer zone or something else along those lines. The realistic accessibility does not exist, and that needs to be taken care of. All right, move on to crime. Law enforcement says the law. Uh, law enforcement says the rate of crime in many categories has risen sharply in our communities. What do you attribute this increase in crime to, and what steps should be taken to combat it? And we'll start with Dan. Ah, public safety, fantastic. Uh, I'll start by saying that I've been endorsed by Whatcom County Sheriff Bill Ofo and former. Bellingham Police Chief Flo Simon, I have spent a lot of time working with both of those people over the years, relationships that go back over 20 years each. And they trust me to be the the right person for the job when it comes to this uh, issue of public safety. For the last two years, uh, we've been seeing uh, one party rule out of Olympia. And with that, we've then seen a terrible host of bills that became into law in 2021, regardless of stakeholder input and predictions. And by the way, it's going right down the path as predicted, but they did, they just simply did not listen down there in Olympia. And as a result of that, we are seeing property crime increases. We are seeing uh, drug addiction, which then leads to mental illness. And when I bring up the drug addiction, it's because of what's known as the Blake decision, a Supreme Court ruling that basically talked about the constitutionality of drug possession. And then to double down the uh, legislative process in Olympia, the lawmakers and the majority then said, well, let's make it a misdemeanor instead of a felony. And what that does is they also said, we're going to hand out two business cards before we even think about you know, issuing a citation for a misdemeanor or anything along those lines. And so with that, you have to come in contact with somebody three times for drug use openly on the streets before you can do anything. And then that anything you can do is just simply write them a ticket that they're not going to go to jail for, which then they get a bench warrant issued that they're never going to follow up on because there's no room at the jail. And this has just been a compounding problem that has keep getting bigger, bigger, bigger. It could have been prevented had people listened in Olympia. I will listen. All right, uh, Joe Timmons, uh, what do you attribute the increase in crime to and what steps should be taken to combat it? You have two minutes. Thanks, Joe. This, as I said, you know, housing, um, the right to choose and, and public safety are issues that come up all the time at the doors for me. Those are some of the biggest issues, along with behavioral health, which I think is, is connected to this. Um, you know, what do I attribute it to? You know, there is a rising uh, crime rates across the country, unfortunately. 
Washington State is not alone in this, but it's also not acceptable, and it shouldn't be tolerated. Uh, I believe uh, that Washington State that there was some bills passed in recent years, the last couple couple years, uh, in the aftermath of of the killing of George Floyd. Um, that I, uh, while I appreciate the intent behind the legislation, I think a lot more work needed to be done in advance of of approving those bills in terms of use of force and pursuits um, to make it more. Um, practical in terms of, 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 of how it's rolled out on the ground. And that means providing more clarity to our law enforcement. I think we need to be supporting our law enforcement to, uh, to, to give them the tools needed to do their jobs while, of course, holding bad actors accountable, just like any other profession. But that said, um, there, there are definitely, I think, some faults with legislation passed in recent years here in Washington state. I know the legislature uh, made changes to, to the use of force bill, House Bill 1310, uh, last year. Um, my hope is that, that those changes are acceptable, and we'll, time will tell. And if not, we need to make more changes to that. But the pursuit bill definitely is not. And I know it's something that is currently hamstringing uh, or handcuffing, I should say, our law enforcement in terms of when they can pursue people engaging in criminal activity. I want to uh, uh, be part of helping to resolve that issue. And that means listening to law enforcement. I think part of the reason why these bills were rolled out in a way that has been ineffective is because we did not uh, listen, folks that down in Olympia who were elected at the time did not adequately listen to law enforcement in advance. So that's something that I intend to do if given the chance to serve. Dan, another 30 seconds on that issue. Perfect. Okay. So people ask what I what I know about public safety, and I'm just going to defer back to about uh, 2009 when I wrote something known as Haley's Law. I did that as a business owner and as a citizen, and I went forth and did this in the spirit of making our state safer. That law passed in 2011 with uh, overwhelming support, and to this date, I don't know of any time that it is replicated, and that is Haley's Law. All right. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Joe. Will you get another 30 seconds? All good. All Thank right. you, Joe. I appreciate uh-huh. it. I, you know, I just didn't. I didn't. I uh, ran out of time. My previous response didn't really talk about substance use. Substance use is unfortunately on the rise in our community right now, including fentanyl. We absolutely have to do something about it. Um, I, I, I hope that we have more opportunities to talk about mental health and behavioral health as part of this conversation. But I think that's part of uh, the issues around public safety right now, and something that I'd be committed to working on in Olympia. All right. Well, we'll definitely get on to those topics, too. Quick before we take a break, though, um, homelessness is a crisis here, as in so many communities. What can the state do to help those who are camping in parks and under freeways and in our communities? So this would start with Joe. Thank you. Gosh, what a, what a challenging issue. Um, again, something that comes up at the doors all the time, and we need to be using all the tools in our toolbox in it because it's so complicated and it's so challenging. So, um, you know, let, let me start by saying, you know, um, I don't think that we should be living in a, in a community that, that, um, that, that allows people to live on the streets unsheltered. I think it's immoral, and I, I think that we deserve better and that we are better, and, and we should be supporting everyone in our community. Um, one, one model that I, in terms of tools in the toolbox, one model that I um, ha- have had a chance to, to see and I support are these tiny shelter villages. We have one in Bellingham called Garden View. I had a chance to tour that. We ha- There's another one in Burlington called First Step Center, uh, Skagit First Step Center. I think these are great models. What these do is these, these get folks experiencing homelessness off the street from unsheltered homelessness with a roof over their head uh, with, with access to case, ma- case managers, and that's the key. Having a secure place to store your possessions so you can go out and look for work or go out and look for housing, go out and get mental health counseling and have access to case managers, to me that is a wonderful model. Is it, you know, is it a great fit for everybody? Is it a long-term solution? No, it's not. But, but, but we can be building more permanent supportive housing through mechanisms like the State Housing Trust Fund to get folks off the streets from unsheltered homelessness into tiny shelter villages and then into more permanent supportive housing or ideally housing that they can afford on their own. So that's one model that I support, but I really think that we need to be looking at the underlying causes of why people become homeless to begin with. We need to be having career and job opportunities for everybody in our community. We need to have a strong educational system from early learning through career and through, through higher education, including career and technical education, that lines folks up for jobs so that they do not fall off, the, fall off the path to begin with. And then, of course, we need to address issues around substance use disorder, and, and I know we'll talk more about that later, so I'll stop there. 
All right, Dan Johnson. Homelessness. Homelessness, uh, I think we can uh, narrow that down to predominantly two different things, and that's going to be as far as root causes. And that is going to be, uh, as has been stated many times before, drug addiction as well as mental illness. And, you know, one generally leads into the other, right? But as a 30,000-foot view of this whole issue, the things I want to focus on are when we start talking about tiny home villages and government programs and everything else, I understand that there is a uh, a certain amount of, of damage caused by poor legislation, and that needs to be remedied. But the key word I want to deploy here is temporary. And whenever we talk about government programs, we want to make sure that the word temporary is there so that we are giving people a hand up and not a hand out, so that we are teaching people how to fish and not simply giving them a fish. And, you know, part of uh, – Part of the the dream is the satisfaction of a a day's work well done. And if all we do is continue to supplement people beyond the need, then I think we we create a a different lifestyle for somebody. I am 100% on track to help people get off the streets because letting people live in squalor on the streets, it's not compassionate. It's not Simply, it's not nice, and we need to get those people off the street into the rehab or the mental services and the help that they need, get them with a roof over their head because, again, we don't have the best weather around here year-round. We need to get them shelter, get them food, get them on track, and then get them back out into society and off of government programs and get them into the workforce. All right, Joe, another 30 seconds. Thank you. Yeah, you know, again, homelessness, we need to be using all the tools in our toolbox because it's so complicated and because it's so prevalent, unfortunately, in our community. And often when we think about homelessness, what we, what we picture are people living on the streets in unsheltered home, experiencing sh- homelessness in an unsheltered fashion. In reality, there are a lot more people who are couch surfing, uh, not with stable housing, and also um, – Living, living in their vehicles. And frankly, we need to be, be building more housing. This homelessness and housing are connected, and there's a housing shortage in our community, and we need to be building more housing to provide more options for folks. All right. And Dan, another 30. And yeah, housing shortage, availability, affordability, we get that. And it's uh, people that are living in their cars. Yeah, they are working. They're maybe day laborers, and they just can't get uh, enough things together in place to actually physically get into one one established uh, roof over their head. I will say that uh, one of the nonprofits that I do work with annually is called uh, Family Promise, and they're a part of Interfaith, and they do a great job, and they have a great success rate. All right. Uh, once again, we're hearing from Dan Johnson, Republican candidate, Joe Timmons, the Democratic candidate for position two for the state House of Representatives in the 42nd District. We'll take a quick break and be back with more as our uh, form continues here on KGMI Connect. We're taking your calls live on KGMI Connects, 360-676-5464. Well, we're not taking your calls live today because we're continuing our series of Debates or forums for uh, local candidates for the state legislature from the 42nd District. And here in the studio with us are Joe Timmons, the Democratic candidate, Dan Johnson, the Republican running for the state house in the 42nd District, position two. And let's see, let's move on to uh, the environment and climate change. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions been a priority in Olympia. Is that a good thing? And are we taking the right steps to reach the goals set by Governor Inslee and others? So uh, this question will Dan Johnson will field first. Oh, climate change. Thank you very much for that, Joe. And, you know, thank you for being the moderator today. This is fantastic. I enjoy being up here. Uh, You know, I think it's safe to say that we all share the goal of having clean air, clean water, and that we want to protect the environment and that we want to make sure that, you know, we have a great place to live. And the Pacific Northwest is, in fact, that I've been across the country a couple different times. And, and I always come back here. And that's why I've stayed here. I, I love the area here. But the, the problem that I'm seeing is 
and you know having been here since I was six years old is when I was younger I don't remember in the summertime having all of the smoke from the fires and I don't remember because I grew up out in the county and I don't remember all of the flooding issues that we're experiencing as of late and you know I think that some of that can be attributed to the mismanagement of the forests and mismanagement of the river and it's something that we really need to discuss uh, more importantly right now is the river because that directly affects Whatcom County as far as the north end of the 42nd there because we have so many people that live along the Nooksack. And, you know, again, I want to make sure that we're doing something to protect the things that live in the river, the watershed around the river, and then the people also that live around the river. But um, what's happening right now is simply not good. And it's and it's not just a Nooksack River problem. It's a statewide problem. In fact, the Chehalis River uh, flooded and closed down 10 miles of Interstate 5 earlier this year. And I, I got to say that right out of the box, you know, we, we got to do better river management and we have to do better forest management. But I don't think we need to do is add 46 cents a gallon at the pump, which is conveniently taking effect in January. All right. Joe? Yeah, can you repeat the question, Joe, if you don't mind? You bet. Uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions has been a priority in Olympia. Is that a good thing, and are we taking the right steps to reach the goals set by Governor Inslee and others? Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I uh, appreciate some of the comments uh, that my opponent said. You know, absolutely, you know, climate change is is real, and we're feeling it here in Whatcom County, right? I mean, we're going to see uh, increased risk of, of flooding and we're going to see uh, increased risk of wildfires, which, of course, impacts the air we breathe and the water that we drink. And so we absolutely, I think, have a moral obligation to be doing something about climate change so that uh, we have a planet that we can live on and that future generations can enjoy the same quality of life that we have. That said, Washington State has implemented a host of policies in recent years, including the Climate Commitment Act. Rather than taking uh, uh, you know, drastic uh, steps beyond that, I think we need to see how that plays out before taking additional measures. And we need to do it in a way that, um, that, that also uh, preserves jobs in our community. You know, that includes clean energy jobs. We have some amazing uh, clean energy companies and career opportunities in this community, including you know, there's a, a vicinity motor corporation, an electric bus company in Ferndale. We have Silfab Solar. Uh, building solar manu- uh, manufacturing solar panels in Bellingham. So we have companies here that are investing in the clean, ener- clean energy economy and providing career pathways to that. So I think that we need to be building a clean energy economy, um, and I think that we need to be working on climate change. But the state has already been taking a lot of steps, and I think we need to see those through before implementing additional uh, major measures. And let me just say, too, when it comes to flooding along the Nooksack you know, I, I, I toured uh, homes in, in the spring and in the fall of last year. I did some volunteer cleanup efforts. Uh, my heart goes out to that community, and I want to commend the community for stepping up to the plate to, to help one another in the aftermath. But the state needs to be doing a better job in terms of emergency management in the aftermath of these disasters, which are only going to increase due to climate change. Dan, 30 seconds. <clears throat> yes, uh, Sorry, I had to clear my throat there. Can I get can I get a fresh start on that? Sure. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we do have to. Uh, yeah, my mind just blacked out on me. I, you know that happens every once in a while. Got to dust the cobwebs out. Ah, uh, yep. Sorry. Okay. That, okay. Complete blackout. All right, Joe. Another thirty seconds, or well, let's stay on this yeah. same topic then. Okay. Um, it, and this is related. Should Washington, or should Washington ban the sale of new gas and diesel burning vehicles? So this, I guess, would start with Joe. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my understanding, it, it, as part of uh, legislation passed in recent years, is that the state uh, is tied to measures that California implemented. So California implemented this, and that's why the state is uh, going to be doing the same um, in the near term. And so, you know, again, I think that we need to be, we, I think we have a moral obligation as elected officials, uh, if given the chance to serve, to do something about climate change so that future generations can enjoy the same quality of life, have clean air to breathe, and um, clean water to drink. So, um, you know, to me, carbon emissions from vehicles, I, carbon emissions uh, from vehicles are the number one um, 
uh, carbon uh, uh, contributor to greenhouse gases in this state. Uh, number two is 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 electric is electric. Uh, I'm sorry, buildings and um, use there in terms of carbon emissions. I didn't say that the best, but but my point is is that um, cars and vehicles absolutely play a role when it comes to um, carbon emissions in this state. And so the state is taking steps towards that. I think that you know we should see how that plays out before making drastic changes. Again, the state has already um, imp- implemented measures to address climate change in our community in this state. And rather than taking additional steps, I think we need to see how this plays out, and um, and so that people can all not only uh, know that we're working towards climate change, but also plan ahead appropriately. All right, Dan. Should the state ban gas and diesel burning? Vehicles? No. To put simply, no. And the reason why I say that is I think that we should be exploring as many options or keeping as many options on the table as as humanly possible when we look at the things we do in life. And by by banning the the petroleum burning vehicles and going straight to electrification, and you might touch on this a little bit later, but you know, hydroelectric dams are also coming under fire and this massive push towards electrification, and yet we don't have the infrastructure for the electrification right now. And if you add to it, we're going to see the same thing that we're seeing in other parts of the country, it's predominantly California, and we're going to see the blackouts. And what happens when you have the blackouts? You know, You find yourself in a situation where the fridge and the freezer don't work, And if it's been the ban on natural gas, which the State Building Code Council has pushed a ban on natural gas now, how are you heating your home? You're heating electrically. And when you have a rolling blackout and now you don't have electricity, then what happens? So Governor Jay Inslee is crippling us by limiting what resources we can use to survive, whether it's heating our homes, whether it's our modes of travel, And he's going to then double down on saying, yeah, and let's start trying to pull dams out and get rid of the the hydroelectric uh, producers. It just doesn't make any sense to me why we're doing that. Oh, and by the way, again, let's throw another 46 cents a gallon on at the pump. I mean, holy smokes. The residents of Washington have had enough. And Washington State is, in my opinion— way overreacting. Climate change exists, but not to the degree in the response in which Jay Inslee is reacting to it. It's very excessive what he's doing. Joe, do you have a response? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I think that's a really good point about uh, planning ahead and making sure that we um, build out an infrastructure that supports uh, more electric vehicles and more of a clean economy. You know, electric vehicles today are not electric vehicles 10 years ago, and they're not going to be electric vehicles 10 years from now. We need to make sure that we have uh, electric vehicle charging stations, and we need to make sure that we have mechanics and other folks who can uh, have a good career working on electric vehicles in the future. Uh, we now have big trucks that can move ele- in electric ways along with buses. I think it's, it's, it's a great path towards the future. Dan, another 30? I disagree, and I disagree on that simply because I don't believe in in banning things of our citizens, and especially banning it in the name of climate change. And again, the response far outweighs what our effect is. And Washington residents are seeing, as a result of Jay Inslee's climate change agenda, we are seeing a massive overburden on our state. And realistically, to think that one state out of 50 on this continent is going to make the impact that we're being made to pay for, I think is also unrealistic. Let's move on to health now. And uh, once again, we're hearing from Dan Johnson and Joe Timmons, two candidates for the state legislature, the state house of representatives from the 42nd district Uh, on health. uh, What is your take on emergency measures taken in Washington to deal with the pandemic? And we'll start with Dan Johnson. We're I've lost track, but we're on day 950 something of uh, Jay Inslee's emergency mandate. It's it's getting close to a thousand, which also means it's getting close to, well, pretty bad. I, I can't believe that we're still in this pandemic, quote unquote, in an emergency status. I do know that uh, in the beginning, 
yeah, we were all puckered a little bit. And, you know, the the two weeks to flatten the curve and everything else and necessary precautions were taken. But as it drew on and other states started opening up and things started happening across the nation, across the globe, and yet here we are, I, I got to think that we're probably one of the last, if not the last states that's still under an emergency mandate, a mandate that is conveniently being lifted on uh, October 31st, right in the middle of the ballot cycle. But uh, that aside, I think that um, the emergency powers of the governor is something that needs to be rectified down in Olympia. In fact, there was, uh, I believe it was House Bill 1772, if memory serves and I don't transpose numbers. And the overview on that was simply that in contrast to what happens now is the governor governor throws it out there and it's indefinite unless the the four caucus heads or the the four leaders can get together and go ahead and say you know what we're out of this mandate where 1772 says the governor declares a mandate and then after 60 days it expires and then from that point he has to replete his case to the legislature to get an extension or otherwise but he has to keep going back to the legislature for an increase, but it's not a mandate indefinitely. And that is right now, in in our system of government, it's checks and balances. And in current Washington government, we have zero of that. Joe? Yeah, thank you. Uh, look, this pandemic has been so hard on everybody and uh, in so many different ways. And I think that's the challenge of it, right? For For small business owners, it's a different experience than frontline nurses. Um, it, it's, it's, it's been hard, it's been exhausting, and I'm so glad that we're at a point now where, uh, the vast, ma- no, he's got two minutes. The vast, ma- thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. We're, we're, we're the vast majority of us, um, feel comfortable, um, walking around without masks and, and doing the things that we do, going to concerts again. I went to a concert uh, a couple months ago for the first time in a while. It was wonderful. It's great to be back out doing these things. Uh, for those who may not know, I work for Governor Inslee. Um, I, I've, I've been in the governor's office for almost four years now as our Northwest Washington regional representative. What that means is I'm our boots on the ground for Northwest Washington. I work with uh, local communities throughout Whatcom, Skagit, Snohomish Island, and San Juan counties. Um, I'm proud uh, that during the pandemic when the governor and the secretary of health were making very difficult decisions um, to save lives, which I, I believe the state has done in this state, um, that I was working with small businesses about how to implement these measures that were very difficult and confusing and to understand the rationale behind them. Proud to have uh, worked with the Department of, of Commerce to implement the, the Border Relief Fund, which more than uh, 100 businesses and organizations in Whatcom County took advantage of to help stay afloat during the, some of the most difficult times in the pandemic because our community was disproportionately impacted by the prolonged border closure with uh, with Canada. But that said, look, the, the governor's uh, emergency proclamations are due to end on October 31st. You know, it's not tomorrow because uh, organizations and people that have these measures in place need time to plan ahead. But that said, we absolutely need to be looking at the emergency powers of the governor in this state. This pandemic, uh, I think, has highlighted that and something that I'd be committed to evaluating uh, if given the chance to serve. Dan, 30 seconds to respond. I think the... Uh the fact that certain businesses were deemed essential and allowed to stay open and some were not in a free market society is uh, not the way to go. And it was very inconsistent as to not what businesses were left open, but what businesses that did what jobs. You, you're you essential, so you get to go to work today. You're not essential in your business. So good luck. We hope that uh, you know you don't lose your home in this pandemic. And I think it was inconsistent and uh, not not the best approach in the long term. Joe, thirty seconds. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm relieved to be past the time of, of business closures that was extremely challenging for folks in so many ways. Um, look, you know, I also just want to give a shout out to the p- folks working in the medical community on the front lines. You know, and and our public safety and first responders. I'm proud to be endorsed by local firefighters and the Washington State Council of Firefighters. Uh, people who responded in emergencies to help keep people safe. And uh, I really believe that we save lives in this state, and and I'm proud to be past that and moving on. All right. Uh, Also on the issue of health, uh, what actions should Washington State be taking in light of the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision? And we'll start with Joe Timmons. 
Thank you, Joe, for this question. You know, as I said, when I go door to door, this is one of the most uh, top of people's issues on top of people's minds. You know, I'm I'm, I'm 100% pro-choice. Um, I believe that that people have a right uh, a, a right to choose, and 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 that we should be supporting um, supporting that right every year. Uh, under uh, every year, Republicans in Olympia introduce bills that either restrict or ban a, women, a woman's right to choose. I, I, I don't think that's um, a good positive step towards uh, that we should be looking at for the future. Um, I'm very proud to have the endorsement of Planned Parenthood and Pro-Choice Washington, two of the leading organizations when it comes to this. Um, but I'm also going to say, you know, look, I, I think it's really important that people know where uh, the candidates that they're electing a stand on this issue. And and my opponent um, previously had a podcast that he made last year with over 50 episodes, which are no longer available online, including one episode around abortion. I think that when, when our names are on the ballots and we say things publicly, that people have a right to know where we stand on important issues and where our, where our true values and opinions are. So uh, I'm very clear on what my, what my values and opinions are. I'm proud to be pro-choice. Um, and it's something that I will defend in this state if given the chance to serve. Dan? Thank you very much. Uh, two minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, Washington state voters have, in fact, spoken in the form of uh, citizens' initiatives. They did it in 1970, and they did it again in 1991. And in my opinion, it's up to the voters to make those changes. I will say that um, – I will support them just like Republicans in the past supported other voter initiatives such as gay marriage and the legalization of marijuana. And I will continue to support the citizens initiatives and talking about the will of the people. And when we talk about the will of the people, um, something like what uh, my opponent is just mentioning a moment ago, but you know, his boss is somebody that also does not respect the will of the people. Uh, a citizen's initiative of a $30 gas, or I'm sorry, $30 tabs was uh, struck down and sent off to the Supreme Court by Governor Jay Inslee. And he's definitely, your boss is not somebody that does does support the, the will of the people in the initiative. For the last three years, they've been uh, trying to ban natural gas. And that citizen, or I'm sorry, the legislative body has voted it down three years in a row so this year, your boss went ahead and said to the state building code council, hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to pass it through you guys because we can't pass it in the legislature. They said, we don't have the votes. Okay. Mysteriously, four board members got replaced and then it passed. So when it comes to the will of the people, I fully respect the will of the people and the will of the people have spoken and that but in doing so, they've legalized it in this state and far be it for me to go against the will of the people on this initiative. Joe, 30 seconds. Thank you. Yeah, look, you know, we all, uh, I'm proud to work in public service. Doesn't necessarily mean that I agree with everything that my boss does. But if you notice there, you didn't hear whether or not my opponent would support or oppose legislation to restrict or ban a woman's right to choose. I'm being very clear on where I stand on this issue. I'll stand for the right to choose every time. As I said, he had 50, more than 50 podcast episodes he made last year, including one on abortion that's no longer available on the issue. Uh, uh, on the internet. And I think the voters have a right to know where people stand on this issue because it comes up every year for a vote in Olympia. Dan, 30 seconds. Uh, I stand with the people of Washington state on that. And I said that before just a few minutes ago and the people of Washington state have made it legal. Uh, What I don't agree with though is abortion all the way up to partial birth. And if you're a hundred percent pro choice, that would include all the way up to, if you had the chance to partial birth, and I think partial birth abortion is very, very extreme, and I can't support that. All right, so we'll take a quick break. Uh, once again, we're hearing from the two candidates for position two for the State House of Representatives in the 42nd District, Republican Dan Johnson and Democratic candidate Joe Timmons. We'll be back here in just a moment here on KGMI Connects. We're taking your calls live on KGMI Connects, 360-676-5464. And going a little long today as we've got uh, two candidates continuing our series of candidate debates or forums, I guess, depends on how you look at them. And uh, here today we're hearing from Dan Johnson, Republican candidate, Joe Timmons, the Democratic candidate, both for the position two for the State House of Representatives in the 42nd District. 
And let's go on to uh, education. Uh, well, first of all, is the state investing enough in K-12 and early childhood education? And Dan Johnson starts with this, this question. Sorry, I was waiting for the music to start. Oh, that's there. okay. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah, so are we investing enough? That has uh, That's riddled with ambiguity, I think. Nothing against you, Joe. I'm just thinking in my head out loud that, I mean, what what is enough? I mean, people can have a different definition of that all day long. If I remember correctly, reading the Washington State Constitution, it says that we will fully fund education as like that's just there's no ifs, ands or buts about that. So written in the state constitution, it does say that it will be taken care of. The question is, how well is that money being spent in the funding? And, you know, for me to sit here and and bring that up, I I don't see the PL or what the Washington State equivalent of that is. So I can't speak intelligently on where the money is going because I haven't seen any reports regarding that. But I know that uh Something that does concern me about Washington State education and some monies is that after the pandemic, and I mean, how horrific was it for the kids to to have to Zoom learn for two years? And that is something that, as a result, we have seen uh, a lot of people go into like the pod learning and the homeschooling and, and have found other options. And in those other options, uh, what that does is it pulls money away from the schools themselves. And when people were learning about maybe some things that the kids were learning because they were in in seeing those Zoom meetings, you know, they got a little concerned and also pulled their kids. But what I was disappointed to see is that, you know, when every child is in school, they also have a price tag attached to them. And even though there was a massive loss of student learning or students in the schools, the governor did backfill about $345 million into the public education system. And I understand we're supposed to fully fund it, but on the same hand, there's a problem when you got to throw all that money in. Maybe we got to relook at that model. All right. Joe Timmons. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. This is, this is a great question. You know, um, I'm a I'm proudly I'm a product of Washington State Public Schools, right? From from um from kindergarten on up into higher education. Uh you know, it is the state's paramount state constitution says it's the state's paramount duty um to ensure education for our kids and I take that I would take that very seriously if given the chance to serve. Uh I was uh I was a preschool teacher for a year before getting into this this world of of public policy and and public service that I'm in now. And it was an eye-opening experience for me, you know, uh, seeing kids transform um, when they're provided a high-quality early learning environment. Um, I know it sets them up for for a great education and, and more level playing field when they're in kindergarten. And to me, it's an equity issue. You know, we every kid deserves a chance at a great education, and that includes, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't depend on race or income or zip code for that, frankly. You know, are we spending enough? Yeah, I, you know, that's something I'd have to look at as well. But what I can tell you is it's it's not fair in the way that we're spending our, our education dollars. Um, I think we, we need to be investing in more rural schools. I think that we need to be looking at our state's funding formula. I think it's unfair that um, in, in today's uh, – if, if the paramount duty of the state is to ensure education for every, for every student – that uh, it needs to go to, to, to a, a local school levy to put on the ballot for mental health counselors or for technology or for other, other uh, aspects that are going to – that to me are just fundamental to a kid's education. So, you know, I, I want to look at that. I want to I work on that. But I also think, you know, fundamentally we need more career and technical education when it comes to schools. In high school and we need more access to uh, community and technical colleges – my dad's a pipe fitter by trade. You know, he had a great career working with his hands. I think that that every child uh, deserves that opportunity um, from early learning uh, through higher education. Joe or uh, Dan, rather, do you have thirty seconds? So slightly deviating from the question a little bit, I do think also that what we need to to reinstall is the the proper uh, the proper district level control in that it's the citizens and then the board, and then the superintendent, and then, you know, the staff and teachers at the school. But right now, what we've been experiencing for the last couple of years is that the boards are not listening to the parents. 
And, and by design, you know, we are a representative government across the board, and that needs to be remedied. Joe? Yeah, thanks. It, absolutely. I think parents need more say in their children's education. I think that they deserve that. And, you know, as was touched on, you know, the pandemic was hard on everybody in so many different ways, and particularly our kids and, and students. Uh, we need we have some work to do to make up for learning loss, to make sure that our kids can compete for the jobs of tomorrow and the careers of tomorrow. And I'd be fully committed to making sure that happens for every for every student in Whatcom County. All right. Um, OK, we covered that one. This one will go to Joe first. And it's also on education. Uh, what um, another controversial issue has been comprehensive sex education in K through 12 schools that uh, was mandated and in a recent session of the legislature. Uh, what is your take on that mandate? Yeah, thank you, Joe. You know, I think um, with all due respect to the media, so this isn't a knock at you, Joe, I think this issue has been um, there's some some hyperbole out there in the media in terms of what this means. You know, I think that students, I think that children uh, need to know the importance of consent, of uh, how to say no, um, and how to uh, respect one another's bodies. Um, I think that teaching that at, a, at, a, at an earlier age prevents um, sexual assaults, frankly, and, and I think that it prevents um, other issues down the road. So I'm supportive of comprehensive sexual education, not, of course, you know, teaching sex positions or anything that's inappropriate. But I think, you know, we know uh, that sexual health and sex is part of our life and part of our community. And I think that, that students need to know what consent is and how to respect uh, each other's bodies. And if we don't do that, then um, I think that we run into uh, larger problems within our community and at a societal level. Dan? Two minutes? Yep. Okay. I think that the schools are taking more and more roles away from the parents. And as my opponent is talking and explaining that it should be up to the schools to teach you know, Johnny and Sally, the no means no. I think that that's the role of the parents and the parents are the ones that should be in control of that. And with the comprehensive sexual learning, that is a K through 12 and quote unquote age appropriate. And again, ambiguous language in there. What What is age appropriate? And you can get 12 different answers to that question. I'm pretty confident. Mm. I was on somebody's uh, porch the other day. In fact, it might have even been yesterday. And she was telling me that uh, during this conversation about sex ed in schools, her, her daughter, who looked to be about uh, first or second grade, and she said uh, a teacher had approached her daughter about hormones and gender and things like that. And she said it was not her normal teacher. She couldn't identify the teacher as being somebody that's there all the time. And, you know, even though in the comprehensive sex learning program, there is the opt out, but what you cannot opt out of, because you can opt out of that specific class that has that label attached to it. But what you, you can't opt out of is a, a teacher stopping your student child in the hallway and having that conversation outside of the scope of the classroom syllabus. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. You find yourself in a situation where if you're an adult and you approach a six or seven-year-old outside of that learning environment and start having those types of conversations, how is that okay? Because there's other places in this country where if you were to do that, it would not be okay. But it's okay in the hallways of a school. And I, and I think it's just the, the inconsistency of it needs to be addressed. Joe, 30 seconds. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate that. You know, um, as I said, I, I'm a product of Washington State Public Schools. I believe uh, access to quality public education is, is foundational to our, uh, to our community. Um, I'm proud to have the endorsement of the Teachers Union, the Washington Education Association. I think uh, teachers do a wonderful work. Uh, within our state. That said, if there are teachers um, that are that are not implementing this law correctly, uh, going uh, in different directions, then I think, um, like any profession, bad actors need to be held accountable. Dan? And I wish it was the exception and not the rule, but I've heard this uh, over and over again as I'm having conversations with people is about the this sex ed learning and how you can opt out, but it's being brought up by other teachers different classrooms, settings, 
in, in different classes. Why, why are you talking about sex ed and math? And so I feel that it's, it's on the books, it's being abused, and it definitely needs to be readdressed. And that is something that I would do in Olympia. All right. Uh, another issue that uh, it was a controversial move to one degree or another by the legislature and the governor was uh, to create a new long-term care uh, program for workers here in Washington State. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? We'll start with Dan Johnson. All I hear is another tax. And so if we start looking at it for what it is, it's a, and I have educated myself a little bit on this, is it's a, a, a long-term care act. And again, why can't we just call something what it means? Because what I've been told it means or what the bill actually is, is not something where you're going to spend, you know, 50 years in an Alzheimer's unit and hope that this will take care of it. And I can speak intelligently on that because uh, my mother was in a, an Alzheimer's unit and she was paying almost, well, we were paying almost $7,000 a month for that. And that was excessive. And, you know, I take that back. It's not, no disrespect to the people in that industry. I'm just saying that that was a lot of money. So looking at that and then saying, okay, for the next 20 years, I'm going to be taxed on something that I can only use if I'm still in this state, if I qualify, and then it's going to be maxed out at a certain price point, which I believe is somewhere in the neighborhood of $36,000. It's, I guess all I hear is just another tax coming out of Olympia. Now it does have the the ability to be opted out of. And I think that that was a one shot deal. Whereas I would be, if we are going to make that necessary and, and implement it, that you should be able to opt out of it uh, every year and not have to contribute into that. Uh, but what I have been led to believe that it's not something that's supposed to sustain you for, you know, the rest of your days, that it's supposed to be something designed to carry you maybe that 30, 60, 90 days until you can get into a situation where Medicare start, or I'm sorry, Medicaid starts taking over. And if that's the case, okay. But again, it's a tax. And if you opt out of this tax, you then have to show that you've got insurance for it elsewhere. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm not for bigger government and more taxes. I just, I'm not. So that's why I struggle. All right. Joe, thoughts on the long-term care program? Yeah, thank you. Um, look, you know, I, I think I think uh, folks in Whatcom County and across the state deserve to age with dignity. Uh, but similar to the public safety bills that we talked about earlier, there are some really uh, – uh, I, I take issue with some of the measures within this. One of them, as my opponent mentioned, is is folks who move out of state, you know, paying into this system and not getting the benefits of it. That – isn't necessarily fair to me. I think it's something that we need to look at. So I'd be committed to doing that. Um, you know, I also think, you know, in terms of aging with dignity and, and, and seniors uh, um, on fixed incomes, again, we need to look at the cost of prescription drugs and the cost of health care. So uh, I, I would want to look at this issue holistically, but I absolutely recognize, I, I respect the intent behind this legislation, but I think that there are some, um, some problems with it that need to be addressed, and I'd be committed to working on that in Olympia. Dan, uh, any 30 seconds worth of thoughts on that? I do, actually. Thank you, Joe. Tian. Yeah. As I sit here with the Joes. That's uh, right. Sorry. Uh, Start me over there, Jason. Two JTs. Okay. Yes, I know. I've been struggling with this for a while. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the reason why the can's been getting kicked down the road on this is because the governor knows that it's going to collapse under its own weight. And the funding and how it's going to run out and some of the other provisions that I've read in there, I'm just, it's it's not a good piece of legislation. And while the the intent to do like a, a stopgap is maybe why it was written, it was poorly written. And that is something that needs to be rectified down in Olympia when we're doing legislation. Joe? Yeah, look, I, I, it does. It, it, it does need to be adjusted. And I think that this is one thing I love about uh, our lawmaking process is, is it's, a, it's a living, ongoing conversation. Um, you know, I think that more stakeholdering work needs to be done in advance uh, to make sure that the legislation that is passed um, is practical and, and will work effectively. But if not, then I think that, uh, you know, we, we need to be looking – at, at this issue and other ones that aren't, aren't working the way that we wanted them to and make changes. 
All right. Well, we've run long, and we appreciate the both of you coming in and, and uh, giving up your time here this afternoon. I want to give you each a chance to talk about yourselves, about your campaign. Uh, let's see. Joe started, so I guess. Yeah, uh, go ahead. Okay, so we have Kick a us minute. off there. You have a minute there, Joe Timmons. Okay, that sounds great. One, okay. one, one minute? Yeah, we'll go with it for a minute. You got it, Joe. That, okay. sounds, that sounds great. Look, um, my name is Joe Timmons. I hope to earn your vote. Um, I have uh, over a decade of experience working at the local, state, and federal levels of government. I know how Olympia works. I have a track record of bringing resources from Olympia back to Whatcom County, and it's something that I would do if given, given the chance to, to serve. Um, you know, I am making this campaign about myself uh, fundamentally, but I would be remiss if I did not bring up an article published in the Bellingham Herald recently about my opponent, picked up by the AP and, and national news. I think that there are some some differences between myself and my opponent in terms of things that we have said publicly, um, and I think I think that voters have a right to know that, and I think that the values and things that we say online and the things that we say publicly matter and should be considered as voters and, and by voters. And as I said, there's 50 ep- over 50 episodes uh, that my opponent made last year. This isn't 20 years ago, last year, that are no longer available online. That's concerning to me, and I, I hope voters can make an educated decision in this race. All right. Dan, in a minute. You know, uh, I was actually hoping this would be brought up. Um, I have issued a genuine statement, and it was immediately, and I do stand by that statement, uh, my remarks were intended to highlight the extremism of Joe's boss, Jay Inslee, and all of the things that he does, and by extension, the things that Joe has done, even though he seems to disagree with him here today on radio. There are a lot of things that he has agreed with him over the over the past when he wasn't running. Uh, the journalist, actually, that covered this was uh, somebody who earlier this year, at uh, or late last year at uh, Doug Erickson's funeral, uh, we actually had to remove for violating the wishes of the family. And it just seems like he had a serious axe to grind with me. And he's been dwelling on that since the beginning of this year. And it's just unfortunate that he took that out in the form of a hit piece and that, uh, you know, he just came after me full guns ablazing on a Sunday above the fold. All right. Well, we've heard from both candidates, and we'll, you'll have other opportunities as well. And we'll be broadcasting a forum that you both are taking part in a week from tonight. And uh, that'll be the, uh, the Common Threads Forum. That'll be aired here on KGMI Live. We appreciate both of you coming in uh, and, as I said, uh, offering your time and your, your take on these questions that I think are issues that uh, are important to all of us as residents of our community and of our state. So once again, Dan Johnson, Republican, Joe Timmons, Democrat, both running for the 42nd District State House Position 2 seat. And uh, thanks for coming in, both you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having us. Ditto. Thank you.